Blog Talk Radio. All right, here we are. Freedom Fridays. Dr. Deb Carlin and my fabulous host, Dr. Charlie Cartwright. Good morning, Charlie. Morning. Hey, you're all peace out, man. <laughs> what a gorgeous day. Are you uh are you really prepared to be underwater today? Well, I'm prepared to be on top of that iceberg in the, <laughs> in the land of success. I love it. All the stuff under the water is what it takes to get there. Man, so, oh, man, does it ever. That's what props us up. And uh, what is that little scuba diver doing over your um, shoulder there? Oh, just it's just something to give it um, context and size. So i got my little guy over there going, wow, I had no idea all that was going on. I mean, <laughs> most people, most people don't. And <clears throat> the, all the, all the rough stuff, all the challenges is what, it's like what's below that iceberg. Yeah. 10% is above the surface. The yeah. other 90% is below. Right. But 90% what gives you the ability to have that, that 10%. And, uh, that's what it, that's 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 the price. So. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking at those words there, and I'm thinking they have a lot of meaning to them. Because for those people in our audience who can't see us, Charlie's got a background, and uh, you know the top of the iceberg is success, and underneath it, all that whole part that the Titanic ran into is the surprise. You know what's underneath, and so. Everything that's there, adjustments and struggle and heartbreak and uncertainty and focus and progress and friends and hard work and mentor and goals and fear and everything, that's about our ambition and our perseverance and our step backs and our, oh, that was fun, step backs, setbacks and step backs. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes a setback is us stepping back, isn't it? And what I was thinking about for us today is all about resilience. Yeah. And it's interesting. Resilience is so huge. And it's interesting because I really love, I found this picture of the iceberg. I really love that Yeah. specific photo of the iceberg. And then all the words are actually things I personally went through. Oh, yeah. So when I look at this, it's it's not random. You know, all the, every not. word in there is something that that I personally experienced. You and me both. And of course, like anything, there are, I feel successful and I know I'm successful, but there are levels to success. Aren't there though? So I'm at a certain level right now and, and I want to continue to level up. So, you know, when I think about that and think about leveling up, I think about the ways in which I love that I named the company partners in excellence <laughs> because it, it's always a collaborative effort. I and mean, we have to do a lot of things on our own, but we don't get anywhere without that collaboration. Right. And so when we're, when we're in the midst of all that, we're often not even thinking about the ways in which we've got um, so many people involved with us. Yes talking about this yesterday and if you think about in your life the high points yeah the highest points in your life there was a group involved right it could be a christmas celebration there was a group involved could mm-hmm. be a thanksgiving a group involved yeah or some major achievement 
there was a group involved. Yeah, there sure and was. So the highest points in our life involve other people mm-hmm. as well as us always. Mm-hmm. And so that really stood out to me that it wasn't a solo act. And I think that as human beings, understanding this connection we all have, we're all wired to connect really and how much that makes us more powerful when we are connected Absolutely. to the global community because yeah. it is a global community. It's not just United States of America or your specific city or state. Mm-hmm. It's literally a global community. And I'm always fascinated when I talk to people from all over the world. I had a conversation with two guys from Scotland just two days ago. And one one gentleman was obviously born and raised in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Well, they both were. But one gentleman was maybe what you would picture in your mind as someone from Scotland mm-hmm. looking and sounding like. Then the other guy, I think his, his family is rooted in India. Mm-hmm. And then they, they migrated to Scotland at some point. And he was, he was born and raised in Scotland. And so... <clears throat> when he started speaking and he had the heavy accent, it was, you know, it was kind of, it was just a neat contrast. However. So one had a, one had a Scottish accent and one had an an East Indian accent. No, they both, they both Edinburgh, they both were had Scottish accents. (laughs) But the one one guy had a, he had a turban. Oh, it is funny when that happens because we have, we have expectations, right? Oh, that is funny. I love when that happens. He started speaking and and it was a beautiful accent. Oh yeah. <clears throat> but when I speak to people, and then same thing, and I had a few weeks ago two gentlemen from that live in Australia. They're first generation Australian. However, their parents immigrated from China. Ah. So again, I'm, I'm viewing them visually on the screen, and then when they start talking, hey, mate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it was really interesting to me, but again, different sides of the world, yeah. we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah, that's right. We all want the same thing. Yeah, we really and do. And we understand that now we're really on to something special. Yeah. And they have a special flavor as we do here. And mm-hmm. when we put it all together, that's the most beautiful uh, picture of humanity you know, at its highest, highest level is when we're together, not all of this radical separation talk yeah. and things like that. So. Yeah, isn't it amazing? You know, if there's one thing that's happened in 2020 and 2021, it is people enjoying their home or at least understanding that you like you better. <laughs> Do whatever you can to make it really lovely. Um, and then understanding the reach. Because you're right, we're all so programmed to be connected to one another the separation from one another is so intense. We created Zoom. <laughs> you know, we have to see one another. And you know, it's interesting when you were talking about there's always a group involved in any accomplishment. I re- it, it it triggered back to me <clears throat> when I got my my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and my PhD. I remember. You know, these big celebrations, and and I remember taking my robe off, my, you know, my graduation gown, and then the hood, and then the hat, and, you know, the cap, and and placing it on to the people who were there with me. 
you know, like my, I, I hooded my mom and my dad and my husband and I, and you know, it was just, it just didn't seem right. And, and I, and I just, it, I didn't realize until this conversation, Charlie, why I felt any awkwardness in being celebrated singularly. Cause it was like, okay, so I didn't do this by myself. I could have never done this by myself. It, it, it'd be uh impossible yeah you know like we sat for the exams right but we couldn't have done it without a family that was loving and supporting us yeah you can't I mean you had to there's no way that I could make all the money and cook all the food and do all the things that had to happen Mm -hmm. and the study partners and that group I remember forming a group it must have been I think I had a year of <laughs> and after that year of struggle, then let's see, it was a year in a pre-professional and then a year. So it took me five years and four months to graduate. And so the first two years were very struggled academically. And then I formed, I got some help as far as study habits and learning how to study. I didn't know how to. Then partnered with three other gentlemen so that we all had the same classes. So, but a person was in charge of the notes from each class. Oh, really? And so you handed your notes to this person at the end of the class. And then that person put them all together and then distributed them. Oh, really? What we found was that every time we all had about 80% of the same information, but that 20%, you missed it, right? But somebody else caught it. Really? Our notes would be very complete. Now you're putting yourself in a position to be successful because the curriculum was so challenging and difficult. Mm. So, but again, it was a team team effort on that. And everybody Mm. had to do their their expectation was you get these notes typed up and emailed out. Mm. So we have them as soon as possible so we can start studying those. And same thing with study guides and things like that. And it was really good. Mm -hmm. Really, really good. Even scouting. Um, there's so much that goes into it that people don't think about, but you have to understand that <clears throat> your instructor has the key, right? They set the rules for that class, the expectation, their style. You have to get past that teacher to get to the next class and learn that information. Well, you need to understand how that teacher rep- presents information mm-hmm. and their expectations, how they how they structure their tests because mm-hmm. they're all different. Oh, absolutely. And, People struggle with certain instructors because they don't understand their style right. or their testing. What then do you, you mean? Have those ones. Then you have ones. I remember the toughest one was the name of Dr. Barlett. He has PhD out of Ohio State. And that guy <clears throat> was just a genius. But he had a way of throwing curveballs on a test that were so, you're not going to hit it. That's just all there is to it. You know, you're not going to hit it. And But it was always a learning lesson. He'd have a curveball in a certain section. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna whiff on that section, but then it forced you to dive deeper into the material. So, what know. did you, <clears throat> what did you mean a, a minute ago when you said scouting? So you have to know, you have to talk to people that have had this instructor before. Oh, so scouting is a student in an academic setting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Understand, understand those instructors. Right. And there's one instructor that had 25 percent of her tests were definitions you had to understand 
the definitions of these words. If you understood the definitions of those words, boom, 25% was awesome, right? Wow, yeah. So I'll get that every time because I understand, but there's so many people that wouldn't take the time to learn the terminology. What? And I rem- yeah, wouldn't take the time to learn because it's so, I remember having a medical dictionary next to my computer. Yeah. When I first started, it's like every two minutes, like I looked at every, every two minutes. Absolutely. It was so frustrating. But, you know, year four, yeah, rarely looked at it because exactly. you understand the nomenclature, you yep. understand the the Latin and the structure of the word and the meaning and the Latin really unlocks so yeah. many. You understand the foundation of this word and unlocks a whole category of right. language and information and learning for you. There's Very foundational. It takes the time to do it. Absolutely. And they were doing word association instead of understanding. No way. And, <clears throat> and so anyway, it was uh, it was enlightening, but again, a group a group effort. Yeah. And it really was uh, pretty monumental. You know, one of the things I love about resilience. <clears throat> Boy, there must be a lot of um, junk in the air because we're both clearing our throat a lot today. <laughs> um, and we're in different parts of the country, for crying out loud. So when I was a student, I remember the theme of resilience studying that and thinking this is so perfect to learn in an academic setting that's really rigorous because you go through this agony of what. I hear it. What are you talking about? I've read it. You're lecturing about it. We're doing work on this, but what does it really mean? And you and you you really do go through all those things on on that part of the iceberg that's under the water where you really struggle to try to get an appreciation and understanding. And then you know, for me as a student, I, if I if I didn't like the professor or the teacher, I, you know, I didn't like how they were teaching. I didn't think that they were good teachers. And, you know, there's a there's a fair amount of that kind of thing that takes place. I don't know why anybody ever gets up in front of a, a classroom if they don't love teaching. Because I love teaching. It really matters to me that my audience learns. But you just get people who seem really impossible. And it... And, and, you know, you like get into this defiant mode, like, I'm not, I don't want to hear from you. I'm not doing this. And then you realize, well, actually, I am going to do this. I enrolled in this course. I have to do this. This is a requirement or I'm so interested in it. So you have to really find your resilience and bounce back and come up with a way, come up with your strategies. You know, I think that that's one of the most important things about education is to go through the mental gymnastics, the emotional gymnastics, to come back into a place where you have clarity and you see it, you knit it all together, right? So true. And I think that's the <clears throat> the biggest difference that I can see besides the volume of information. and But the biggest difference between undergraduate and graduate school is undergrad. I remember going to University of Nebraska back in the day. Well, there were, you know, you're trying to take an English, a specific English class. There are 10 different instructors, yeah, 10 right. different offerings, 10 different. You go to graduate school, it's her. Yeah. It's him for the class. You can't duck. You can't duck any instructor. You have to get through everyone. And so that's really challenging. And like you said, at first, yeah, you get this attitude, and then all of a sudden you figure out, hey, 
there's no way around it. Yeah. Through it, and so now I've got to figure out how. So, yeah. And I remember we had this instructor from South Africa. Okay? Mm, yeah. And very, just, I had a ton of respect for him, right? Yeah. And uh, super smart, intelligent, experience. He had white hair and just, uh, he was a white man, but he had olive skin. I mean, he was just a, and he, he was so, the way he moved, yeah. you know, he walked, he had a, the way he sauntered. You, you know, you remember Ricardo Maltabon? Sounds dignified and elegant. Yeah. Do you remember Fantasy Island? Yeah, yeah. That showed, the, 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 well, the lead was Ricardo Maltabon. Right, you know, right. Just, just the way he moved, mm-hmm. you're yeah. like, well, this guy kind of had that. Very commanding. Player. Yeah. But he was from South Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there were, I remember hearing stories that in that college, you know, there weren't very many African-American students and how several African-American students got to that, that class and couldn't get past it. So I'd heard it, but you know, you don't know if it's true. And then I got in there and uh, it was true. What was, was true? It was very difficult. It made it very, very hard to pass this course. So he didn't, and he didn't like the black students? Oh my! Yeah. And so, and I remember my friends one time. Well, they, you know, I complained about it during semester, and they, you know, they listened. But okay. And I remember at the end of the semester, there was a class, kind of the final class, and he had this. He gave this speech. You know, it was kind of a, you know, pick me up. You know, you got this. You're going to be successful in your endeavors. And then he read this poem. And the poem was great. Yeah. So I remember after the class broke up, you know, people were hovering around him and everything, and I was kind of waited in line. And I got up to him and I said, hey, doctor, and I won't say his name, I really love, I really appreciate your speech. I really love uh, to get a copy, you know, I wonder if I could get a copy of that poem. And my friends were coming up about that time. They were walking up, but the doctor and I were kind of off, so he thought no one was around. Okay. And he was as rude and dismissive as he could oh. be about my request. And my friends saw it. And they were, and we, I remember we were at lunch that day and they said, man, we thought the whole time that you were just being sensitive, but I saw it. That was as rude and oh. uh, of a response as he could possibly give. Oh my. And so those are, those are challenges that we have to overcome in life. And that's where the resilience that you're talking about comes in because yeah, you've got absolutely. some choices. Right. You can you can defeat it or you can be defeated. Yeah. And resilience to me is refusing to be defeated. And so the shirt I have on and we talked about it a little earlier, this is a sporting sporting Kansas City shirt jersey and you know it's our local soccer team, professional soccer oh, team neat. we have. And it's a really fun I've been to a game and and it, it's a really fun atmosphere. And but I remember going there, and it's really different than going to a baseball game or basketball game or hockey game or even an American football game. And they had all these cheers and chants. And the whole game, in this one section, they call it the cauldron. It's at one end of the field, and that section is just rocking. The whole <laughs> like it never stops. Seriously. Back to back to back. Cheering oh my gosh. The whole the entire section. And I couldn't understand 
one of the cheaters. Yeah. And I kept trying to figure it out. I kept trying to figure it out because they say it really fast. Yeah. So my buddy, I said, what are they, what are they saying? Yeah. And he's saying, he said, they're saying, I believe that we will win. But they say it really fast. I believe that we will win. I be- we have a thousand people. Oh, yeah. I believe that we will win. Wow. Anyway, it's this rhythmic, I get chills thinking about it, but in life, if you're being resilient, you believe that you will win. Yeah, right. That's right. And that's, that's and they did they, the whole game. I believe that we will win. I mean, wow. it's just powerful. Wow. So soccer fans are the most ravenous, um, passionate fans on the planet. I mean, I don't know how you cheer an entire game. What they never stop. Really? Okay? And take a break. How are cheer. they even paying attention if they never shut up? They're watching. They're watching the. They're watching the the action. But it's you know soccer is kind of. It's not like basketball. They don't score every. Right. Every yeah. Seconds, okay? Right. There's a lot of running around <laughs> out there. Big, yeah. Big, big. When right. I was a kid, I didn't understand. I was like, why do they make it such a big deal? <laughs> now I know. You know, it's a big deal when they score. So it's just like. Because <laughs> it might be the only time it happened in a match. You know, ninety minutes. Right. Is so, that how uh, long a soccer game is? Is ninety minutes? I think it's yeah. I think it's forty-five and forty-five. Oh man! And uh, but they stop, you know, the right. clock if there's an injury or something. Then they call it stoppage time. Uh, and so then at the end of the half or the end of the game, they'll tell you, oh, we've got four minutes of stoppage time, uh, and then they run that, and then the game's over. But you know, it's the most popular uh, sport and game in the world for a reason. So it is a beautiful game. Um, but you have to, it's a different type of a It's a so international. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can be a poor kid. That's the thing about it. You only need one ball. Yeah. And then a, a bunch of kids can play. Yeah, you don't need and, equipment. No, and then, you know, that footwork and all this stuff, you can practice even without a ball. You know, so, yeah. so that's how, <clears throat> you know, it's a, it's a uh, level playing field. Yeah, yeah. For people that are maybe socioeconomically challenged, they can still participate at a high level. And well, a lot of the greatest soccer players in the world come from a tough background. Well, the other thing is, in, it's about your endurance, your athleticism. It's not like with football where you have to be really, you know, muscular and strong and a different kind of a body. You have to get out there and just love to run and play and kick and maneuver and I like the I like the maneuvering in it because talk about resilience. Uh, you watch a soccer game; it is a lesson in resiliency, right? It really is. And you talk about the lesson. <laughs> I remember listening to an interview with a gentleman, and he was talking about the game and specific players. And he said one of the things in soccer, you know, your lung capacity, your ability to run. He said, and you have to be, you have to be willing to suffer. Oh. <laughs> what he said. What? You have to be willing to suffer because there's going to be times you're running and you're, 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 you're tired, but you've got to run to defend the goal. You've got to run after this, this ball and things like that. And the football field, I don't know if people aren't a soccer fan, they probably don't realize it's bigger <clears throat> than the American football field. The field is bigger. It's larger. It <clears throat> is? So you can't be 300 pounds running around out there. You've I didn't know it was to, bigger. You've got to be able to run. How much bigger is it? How much bigger is it? 
You know, I've got a friend that's the head of facilities at the for the Kansas City Chiefs at yeah. Arrowhead. Yeah. And we're hosting, I can't remember if it's next year or if it's 2022, but we're hosting because the owner of the team is a huge international soccer fan. So we're hosting a world some World Cup events in Arrowhead. I want to say it's 2022. So they're already all this planning. There's so many things that have to happen before. But he's talking about how in the lower bowl of the stadium, they had to remove, they're going to have to remove several thousand seats to accommodate the size of the field. What? Yeah. yeah. And so he said, so it's a big project. We got to remove them. And then after the soccer, we got to put them back <laughs> for the field for uh, NFL football. But I want to say, coming to Kansas City, I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's 2022. Because, you know, wow. the World Cup is every four years as well like the Olympics, and it's a big, huge, it's a, a worldwide soccer tournament. How cool is wow, that? Wow, wow. So when you're the world champion in soccer, you really are the world champion, right? I mean, it's, it's You know, I have, I have actually never played soccer, <clears throat> but now I wish I'd been playing it for years because talk about getting into great athletic shape. You go out there and you start kicking that ball around and you start running a little bit. That's amazing. And, you know, fortunately, we have one of the best in the U.S. We have one of the best women's team in the world. We do. They're the best women's team in the world, and they've worked their tail off that program over the last probably 30 years to make that happen. Where are they at? It's pretty well. We're not as successful on the men's side, but the women's, National team for the U.S. is a world-class group. Where are they at? Pretty pretty neat to watch them play. Where are they at? You know, I don't know where the training center is, and there is a a women's professional league that they all play in during the season. But when it comes to World Cup or Olympics, they come together in the U.S. national team. Wow. So those ladies are pretty dynamic all the way around. All the way around, personally and professionally, most of them are very dynamic. You know, um, I love all that, and here's here's why I've never played soccer. <laughs> I don't like competitive stuff like that hmm. because people get tough in ways that hmm. I just I'm really uncomfortable with. So you know, I all the sports that I've been involved in have been really solo, you know, like swimming, swimming with the U.S. Masters. Love it, love it, love it. Um, figure skating, um, you know, uh, track and field, um, fencing, tennis. But tennis, my biggest problem with tennis, oh, and fencing too, was the fencing person always really wanted to, you know, <laughs> catch a I don't need to, you know, get you. I just like the the art and the elegance of the moving around and the and the poise of it. I think it's beautiful. And with tennis, I've always had a hard time getting anybody to just volley with me. Can't we just have a friendly game? <laughs> and people would say, "Yeah, we can play a friendly game." Then they, you know, show me their smash hits and, you know, like hit it you know, two feet over to the left of me when they knew that I, you know, would trip getting over to it. And I, I like, I like the friendly aspect of it. So I think that if people are going to be in competitive sports, 
they should also um, spend some time in gentility sports. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking to a professional on the other side of the camera here. Do you agree or you think, oh, that's so girly? Yeah, I'm, I'm competitive. I like the I like the competition. I just like to see where I'm at, and that's in anything. And it's not to to put anyone else down or anything like that. I like to see where I'm at, and I like to compete at the highest level. So when I played college football, I always liked competing against the best players on our team. Yeah. And of course, if you play in a game against another team, those are typically the best players on that team. Right. So I didn't, I never tried to, and there were players that did. We had people on our team that were always going to be scout team or practice squad there, and they're never going to see a field in the game. Okay. Well, I didn't run over those people because I, you know, I would tackle them and those things, but I didn't, I didn't go any further than I, than I needed to. Yeah. But I, I focused my attention on the people that were, that, that could, compete at the same level or higher and that's what made made me better so as a speaker as a business person if you go to a conference and you see someone and they're doing something wow they're doing that at a higher level than I am or whatever then it's a a great time to take a lesson yeah and then go back and sharpen up your your skill set and it's inspirational right yeah and then of, of course it feels good to go to a conference and set the standard, right? That's yeah, right. That you know, people's expectation will be high for for the next speaker or the next trainer to come around. But that's how we all get better is is when you see improvement and then you go to that level and it's just kind of a perpetual cycle. That's how we get such great products like these, these phones, you know, uh, that we have. Because they keep improving them over and over again. Yeah. And so we're so far advanced from my, I remember my first cell phone I had, had a shoulder strap. <laughs> <laughs> the phone yeah. in a bag. The bag phone. Yeah, I, I remember those. The Absolutely. Ever. Absolutely. It had a little, had a little uh, antenna on it. Right. Little, right, right. Plug yeah. it in, plug it into the, the, uh, the cigarette lighter, cigarette lighter in the yeah. car, right, right. I think, I think, I think you might have had like, I think that first phone, maybe two hours, maybe on a charge. But that's you couldn't talk for two hours straight. Oh, I don't even hours. remember it being on a charge. The one that I had, you could only talk on it while it was plugged into your cigarette lighter. It was a car phone. That was it. You had a car phone. I remember the first pocket mobile device I had that I I had uh, I had two chargers and I had all these backup batteries so when I would leave my house I had the, the battery on the back of the phone and I had four batteries with me in my battery that were charged oh my so gosh would get low, I'd change, and so I would change batteries like four or five times during the day to get through the day oh that's hilarious isn't it crazy that is crazy <laughs> You know, I want to go back to resiliency for for a minute here. How is it that that you think about how we are teaching children resiliency right now and like in in 2020? What is it that that 
we've done to teach children resiliency this last year? And what do you think we need to be doing with these these youngsters now in terms of that? Because well, I'll tell you what, we need a lot of bounce back, Charlie. We can't keep, you know, we can't keep feeling defeated, you know, scared in this world of uncertainty, you know, because in the midst of anything, there's always some beautiful lessons to be learned. Yeah, that's a great question. So I kind of have a, I kind of have a passionate answer. For okay. This one. So I remember a friend of mine some years ago, and we were talking at it specifically. I was talking to her about my family and some challenges that I was experiencing at the time. And she said, Charlie. There, when we grew up in a household, she said, there's things we are taught. So some things are taught. So other things are caught. Oh. Okay. So when I look back at my upbringing, so true, there were things that were taught, but a lot of things were caught. Okay. And I didn't even realize I had caught them mm. until I got out on my own. And then all of a sudden, these things start manifesting and surfacing. So as adults, this has been... For most people, I would say, by far, 2020 was the most challenging year of their their, their existence. Right. So, but to go home or to be at home with our children and they're looking to us. Yeah. And they're they're watching. Even if you don't think they're watching, they are. Always. If you don't think they're listening, they are. Always. So what do they watch and what do they hear? What do they see and what do they hear in us? Yeah. Because they're going to manifest that, right? Right, and so if we are scared and and afraid and trembling and weak and unsure, what are we passing on our children? We can't hope to pass strength on. Yeah, we're 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 leading by example. Okay, so um, then do we have all the answers? No one does, right? And so, but we do have some answers, and those are the ones we've got to focus on, what we do know and what we can control. I remember, and it's interesting, I'm going to talk about this on my dash cam later today, but when my little boy, he's 22 now, but when he was little, he was about probably four years old. He didn't like worry about, and he had to lay down for his nap. So I remember putting him down for his nap, and then right before he you know, he'd lay down for his nap. Sometimes he'd ask me a question or talk to me about something. And so one time he, he was to dad, what if bad guys break into our house? You know, and I'm like, I oh, don't know bad guys are going to break in. Well, this persisted in his mind. Mm. And so he says, well, but what if, so the next time he asked me, I said, but what if they do? And uh, I said, well, I'll just fight them off. You'll fight them off? How do you know you can? <laughs> Is what he said. So, yeah. you know, very smart. And I said, uh, you know what? I'm too tough. He says, you're too tough? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm too tough. He said, okay, you're too tough. Yeah. And, I, and he, he, was, he was settled at that. So do, do, I, do, I, do I want that anything like that to happen? No, absolutely. But I don't want anything like that to happen. But right. I had to, he needed reassurance. He absolutely that something did. did happen. Right. I'm not going to run out of the back door. Right? Daddy's there. I'm not going to cower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, you know what? <laughs> you, you know, you break into my house, you better bring your lunch, you know? So you and, were, uh, you were demonstrating to him 
when he has his fear that you were foundationally his security. And that I'm going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Immediately. Right. I'm going to rise to the occasion. And I'll figure out the answers as I as they come. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, always means people broke into my house. Right. Oh, you know, it's on. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's on when that happens. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about that is, and there are a lot of people that would instinctively respond to defend their family. Of course. However, the way the pandemic happened, people feel powerless and kind of kind of lulled back into a weak state instead of having the opposite reaction. Okay, this is that, this it's on, you know, so this is a real, real, real life situation. And I remember my uh, nephew, I had another nephew, one of my cousins, a younger cousin, and I, I do some mentoring to, for him, with him. And we we're talking about manhood because his father wasn't around. And I said, you know, it sounds like a great concept until it's time to do man things. There you go. Okay? Right. It doesn't have to be man things, it be adult things. Because adulthood sounds good until it's time to do adult things. Right. Guess what? 2020 was time. Yeah, that's it right. Time. Yeah. And how many people d- didn't rise to it, okay? And uh, nobody wanted that. But when it's time to rise, we got two choices, right? And so that example we set to our kids is the example they're going to take with them. And core resilience and courage. So I just, I just know that when they face challenges, then they're going to, in their life, they're going to look for a frame of reference as to what to do. Yeah. They're going to say, Oh, I remember what my dad did at this time. Oh, I remember what my mom used to say. Oh, I remember what my grandpa used to do. Right. That's what's going to happen. So, um, so it, that, that responsibility we have to set an example for the youth. Huge. It, it changes the future. It does. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, that's how, that's how significant it is. So, um, everything that we do, um, And we've got about two minutes left. Everything that we do is viewable and somebody's picking up on it. And so the more conscious and in our right mind we are, in our right heart that we are, the better, right? Because we're looking at everything and seeing it and thinking, okay, all right, let's do this. So I like it that today you've got the scene that you do behind you. If you're listening to us on Blog Talk Radio, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, the the um, the influencers at Partners in Excellence Media, and drink it up because today's about success, all the things that it takes to get there, and resilience being core. So on that note, Mr. Dr. Charlie, we'll be back here next week. Hang with me for a second, okay? All right, let's say goodbye to our audience. Audience, a tutelure. We will see you next time. (laughs) Hang on here.